Welcome to the Unapologist Podcast. This week we have the master of self-improvement, Christopher Polson. And on this end, the master of self-sabotage, Vito McKenzie. You see, I'm the master of self-improvement because I just never improve. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We're going to improve so much tonight. Chris, we got a guest with us. I I cannot hype her enough. I really can. We have Rola Tipsharani with us tonight. Rola, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor being uh, joining Vito again since G- Vito left me a while back. And well, I listen- promise that I'll, I'll mention this over and over again every time I see Vito. That's that's okay. I'm glad we're connecting. You know, yes, we, have a yeah. lot of, we have a lot of guests on this show. And the thing that ties them together is Vito left them. <laughs> in, some, in some capacity, Vito left them. So master of self-sabotage. But really, before we get started... I, I really, Chris, you, you, like you, you got to hear like who, who we got on here today and why she made that comment and why I, I still need to apologize to everybody out there. So Rola comes <laughs> to us. She's got over 25 years of teaching experience. You want to look at the classroom of the future. You walk into her room. She's been featured on so many podcasts before. She's a conference speaker. She has her own blog, Learning in Progress. She has her own podcast, The Missing Link, where she features amazing educators who are making real world connections. She was... Uh, nominated or she was awarded uh, geography teacher of the month by Canadian Geographic magazine and and on top of that she was also uh, she is she is also an HP teaching fellow as part of the digital promise initiative having been identified as one of the top six innovative teachers in all of Canada everyone now, who comes on the show is better than us <laughs> <laughs> on top of which I had the honor of my first year in middle school uh, teaching middle school of being directly beside her in her classroom <laughs> to see her at work <laughs> Mom, why did I have to go into Mr. McKenzie's room? (laughs) (laughs) Really, that's what it was. And it was amazing to learn from her, to see her. And of course, at the end of the year, having been beside one of the greatest educators I know, what did I do? I packed up and I moved rooms. And I'm so sorry, Rola. I cannot apologize enough for that. It was uh, regret, regret, regret. But I had the pleasure of really getting to know you and understand how well you are... um you know, in touch with reality of teaching and learning and learning alongside the students. So I'm honored. You don't have to be polite to me, okay? It's it's my (laughs) podcast, but you're the guest now. You can call it as it is. You don't have to be polite to me. Uh, I love uh, it. I'm so excited to be talking with you tonight. I know. Like, let's start. uh, As we ask all guests, tell us your story. What got you into teaching and down the path you're currently on? Got into teaching. My journey started because of interesting creativity and innovation. And I grew up in a very traditional schools where um, we were told how to think, we were told when to move, when to raise our hands. And so I was always the rebel and disruptor as I was going to school, obviously. And I couldn't understand why we had to memorize definitions or grammar rules. And it just, I drove my parents insane with that and created a lot of trouble at school. So that innovation creativity led me to travels a lot. And the best way to travel and really learn about cultures was to take education. And through education, you can go anywhere around the world and work. And also that the human process, I'm always intrigued and inspired by human, how they learn and the thinking process. And so that empathy, peace and compassion and working with the students or even at earlier age, just having to be part of um, 
the community and, and volunteering in the community and, and seeing that uh, effect of creativity and innovation and has left many uh, emotional changes to, to young adults. And so that's what inspired me. And, and I'm, I'm really, one of the things that I want to point out is the whole rebellious act that kind of sparked your journey because, you know, Chris and I are no strangers to uh, going against the rules and, and, and really lashing out and uh, against the norm. So um, I, I think that's just wonderful how that really sparked a creativity and innovation, innovative path in your part. Uh, one, th one thing, though, I, I do notice is that regardless of what you're doing in the classroom, there's there's a huge focus on community building. Like from day one, you come into your classroom and and even till the very last day, it the language you use in the classroom is very focused on how does this affect the community and uh, for students to be involved in it. And so tell us what that looks like and how do the students respond? Like, how do you build that? Community is important. Community is everything. Community is a place for learning. And if we don't build that community, it's more just a safe place, but it's a place to express and build that trust and value of thinking. So I do respect that the students come with a lot of uh, a lot of background knowledge or back background influences throughout their life. And so to build that community and that trust is really a key to success. So we spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year having to, to put um, tasks together where the students have to really uh, design and build that empathy with each other. First, we start by interviewing each other, getting to know each other and, and learning about each other. And how can we be empathetic about um, uh, our learning and our um, aspect of how to respect and build that community, as well as having to build through, through tasks of the design thinking. So how do we value each other's idea? Each, each one has an idea and it's really hard to let go of an idea and building that community of valuing each other's idea that takes process and takes a lot of learning. So that community environment, it becomes safe for everyone to have a voice and it's about equity that everybody's ideas are considered are respected and uh, are shared together so this is something that's it's pretty heavy at the, at the start of the uh of, of the of the course or the start of the school year this is something that uh you know before maybe jumping into like you know the 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 meat and potatoes of like curriculum. This is something that we're going to start with. So we don't start with the curriculum right away. We really focus on that community building, and that's the key to the success and building that relationship. So getting to know each other. So the students go around, they interview each other's, uh, they they ask each other's about important specific things that they like to know about one another and how to build that trust. And also I prepared all these hands-on tasks. So we spent about two weeks really learning through tasks and I built that empathy piece through the task where we are designing for maybe a refugee child. We are designing maybe for a pet that has a broken leg or, or something that they can build a really to frame a problem. So that students understand to frame a problem and also having the trust to what is questioning. So they start questioning that process of framing that problem and relying on each other's background knowledge. So we all come with a lot of backgrounds. And so how do we build that authenticity, that background count when everyone has a voice? And how do we each 
take, we each have an idea and how do they each design an idea and they share. And so listening is the biggest piece of it because students always want to just give their ideas. They don't want to listen. So building that community process and co-constructing those criteria. So it's not just an event that's happening. And at that one point, we really consolidate a lot. So that's the success to it is that consolidation piece where we just stop and consolidate and talk about what's working well. What would be our next steps? And the students seem to be really embracing the process because they are they have their voices um, into that process that are being um, built together. And so they they get excited about it. And the first thing they do when they walk in is say, are we continuing with this project? Are we doing this? What is the solution? And so putting also hands-on materials with them right now, obviously it looks different, looks very different this year, but usually putting a lot of hands-on materials in them and having them to design and they've never really created them something themselves that they have a problem that have framed themselves and finding their own solution. So building that innovative piece that we all have innovation we all have creativity and so that's what makes a, a strong community and as we go along then we start seeing how that applies to all of the curriculum expectations from reading to writing to everything so we have always shared voices because community is building knowledge together community is building trust together and if that doesn't happen right away you really have to you end up disciplining the whole one well that's what i was thinking too to me um, when I'm hearing about your understanding of building community and then the, the importance you put on it with these interviews and these, these tasks that are ongoing, um, it's also hitting on a lot of like, uh, like really good management because really you're not so much as teaching them how to manage themselves, but you, they're guiding them through a journey on how to deal with problems when they encounter them. So it doesn't become a, a, a problem that the teacher needs to encounter. That's right. So problem solving becomes big. So a lot of sticky notes, a lot of uh, reflection. So the key is consolidation and reflection. So they always, so we talk about community as an ecosystem as well. And we talk about community is like an ecosystem we're interdependent. So everybody has a responsibility. And so that responsibility, we call it interpersonal relationship. So it's your relationship. What do you bring with it? And then we started unpacking with this biases we've had all our lives. So the kids come with a lot of biases. So the kids start sharing honestly by saying, okay, so I'm, I was told I can never speak French or I was told like, you know, only kids who raise their hand can speak in class. So all of those things start unpacking. And we start really looking at those unconscious biases and thinking about that. So what do we do about this? How do we let go of those biases and start setting up new trust together and, and learning together? So self-management and self-regulation are the hardest to do. And when not only adding that management piece, but then you're adding all that other communication piece, the listening piece, because communication is listening. So how do you listen? How do you communicate? How do you collaborate? How do you value all ideas? And it's amazing how the trust like develops and the students accept each other's abilities. So there's no comparisons anymore. And they drive each other's learning as well. So what you're really getting at here is unlearning. You're, you're really taking them, unraveling the process of education for them and getting them to really take ownership of, of their own of their own learning in the process. And, and so... And, and so many of those things, Vito, uh, that Rolo, that you were saying to us, um, you know, they're not just things that uh, young people need to learn. Like when you were talking about self-regulation, I'm like, who who among us in, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 
who can't learn to do that more uh, efficiently and who can't learn to do that stuff better. So I'm, I'm really kind of like blown away. I'm loving it. I'm getting vibes, Vito. I'm getting vibes. <laughs> so unlearning, Vito, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. And that's the key. We call it, we do call it unlearning. We call it unlearning class. We watch this video, which I would share with you later is, I don't remember that. It's a video about an engineer whose uh, co-workers turned his bike around. Um, so the gears are totally different. So if you're turning left, you're going right. So he had to do unlearning of riding the bike. And we discussed that carefully. And he's an engineer and he's quite well educated. Not only this, it took him eight months to unlearn how to ride a regular bike, to learn how to ride an awkward bike. And where his son at a younger age took him only six weeks to unlearn how to ride an awkward bike. So that discussion stuff, we also look at brain studies. So we look a, a lot we, we look at a lot of TED Talks, a lot of um, the brain videos, how the brains develop and how the prefrontal cortex is start, starting to develop. And the unlearning becomes a data for us. So we start documenting as well, what habits am I have to let go in order for me to develop that community and that trust? And so they start collecting data. So I'm all about data collection and students when they we talk about self-regulation and, um, you know, uh, self-managing is they start self-managing. And so they start really documenting that data about themselves and having to interpret the data. And so what are your next steps? So we talk about a few things at a time to focus uh, in our teamwork and our collaborative work or even for their own executive function work. So there's a lot happening, not only just we're learning about the brain, but also we're learning about habits, our biases that we've had over the years, what do we need to prune away and unlearn and and set that success and what that success would look like. And do students, you know, really get really get on board? How long before students are like, oh, wow, OK, I guess she isn't just going to tell me what to do. And I just regurgitate and put this on a test and hand it in. How, how long before students finally get on board? Are they usually quick, it takes, it takes quick to adapt? Yeah, it takes a while. So right, like this year, it's longer than any other years because I think the kids have had that period from March onwards without schooling. I'm finding it's taking longer this year. It's quite interesting. And really to really build that confidence, it does take a while. Like you're actually asking me to analyze and my voice counts and I don't have to have prescribed answer or, or directed way. Like I have to make those decisions myself. It does take a while. It takes usually at least till November till we really have that flow of, you know, the flow of comfort and it comes natural, but really January when it really takes off because along the way, not only we're consolidating, reflecting. So reflection is the key to the success on learning the key to success and identifying, right? So they're collecting data, they're interpreting their data, they're setting their goals, they're sharing those goals with their colleagues. So they, they, because we build that trust. So they observe me, they give me feedback. I get, I take feedback on a weekly basis. Even now I'm constantly taking feedback and I love the feedback. So when they see me that I'm vulnerable and I'm ready to also to take those risks and, and change along the way. So they start trusting themselves too. And so they trust each other because they're observing me. So I have to give me feedback, but also in their teams, their colleagues are observing them and giving them feedback. So that trust becomes a key and they, they help each other's really, they take also roles in teams where they know each other's goals, what to improve on, and they help, they guide through that. Um, you, you said some things there that I was just about to ask about too, because this, uh, this type of a classroom, 
uh, it, it really lends itself to a teacher who needs to be very self-reflective. I'd say I, I would almost think that after every single day, you, you need to really think. You know, how was that good? How was that bad? Especially with year after year, new students, new students, new students, new situations. Um, so that there's got. I love that you spoke about uh, self-reflection because I think that's important as professionals that we should be doing. But when you're going to go down these avenues as a teacher. I think it's even more important. And, and, uh, and wow, how about uh, the vulnerability that you show by saying it and tell me what I'm doing wrong? You know, uh, who, who is, who is our best uh, critic other than our clients and ourselves, correct? Like, wow. Um, I think Vito, we're on like question two, but it's really like question like 17 now. Wow. Uh, <laughs> you, just, you just, you just have to drop a seed and roll. With, 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 yeah. Roll, there's roll there's an old tree growing here. <laughs> uh, but no, no, please, please keep going. Like you, you're, you're taking it. So you're collecting data. You're, you're, you're building that trust. You're unlearning. And uh, really, you, you're not really just doing a class, right? Like you, uh, it's obvious you're, you're metaphorical, your walls, your subject walls don't exist, right? You're, you're very cross-curricular uh-huh. and, and um, uh, real world connections is what you're really, really emphasizing on. Like you, everything goes back to real world connections because you want students to connect it and you build that data points. And, and so where do you start with that? Because real world connections changes day by day by day by day. So, yeah, how, so how, how, do you, how do you get the students to build those? Yeah, so learning is action taking because if you're not action taking, you're not learning. So learning is not just between me and the paper and the students. So learning has to be action taking. You have to be able to share you have to get feedback along the way, and you have to look at who is the expert. So we are we could be expert. Everybody has different expertise in the team. Um, I was just going to add on to just before taking the action taking because you, so we learn also not only to develop our brains and and prune our habits and do the unlearning and the full process, but also we also look as learning as a human process. It has feelings, it has expression. And so when we're talking about, I'm just going to go back a little bit about self-management and self-regulation, we bring that emotional piece to it. So what agitates you? What makes your emotion burst? So we talk about a lot of the thinking skills and we talk about system one and system two thinking. System one is when you react fast and what makes you react fast? How do we improve that? How do we get into the system two thinking where you are kind of calm down and you listen before you react and to make those decisions? So that is the key before the action taking piece. So action taking is embraces the whole process itself. So the action taking piece is learning is action taking. So I'm reflecting is action taking. I'm asking my colleagues uh, to co-construct knowledge is action taking. Uh, so learning is an active process. So it starts within ourselves. We bring a lot in our background, which is our interpersonal skills. And the interpersonal skills really becomes an action taking. And it's a process that's happening for learning. So that's the key to it. And like you, to get your question, yes, if you're not taking action, you're not learning. So why learn? Okay, so this is what I always say. Why are we learning this? And in order to really respond to that, so how is that going to make a difference in your life, in your community, in your everyday thinking, and also take it globally? So it is about connections. And if you're not making connections and telling stories, in our learning, there's no learning. Uh, you, you, you just made Chris smile because narrative is v- Chris's number one focus in his religion classroom, especially. And uh, it's a big part of what I do as well. So please keep going. 
Yeah, so uh, we look at a lot of the things. We start within ourselves, right? We already started taking actions for ourselves. We're looking at what are we doing in order to unlearn, to prove those habits. How do we make those spaces and those abilities that we need to practice on a daily basis? What strategies do we need to really work with this? What thinking tools are we using to analyze, to interpret data, to, to come up to conclusion? And there's no one way, one perspective. So we always look at perspectives and that's the key to success. Everything we do has to have a perspective and whose perspectives are we are we uh, mentioning here? So even if we, if we do geography, even if we do history, whose perspectives are being held? What is political? What is economical? What is spatial? What is uh, geology? What's, so all of those perspectives are embedding. Then students become broader with their thinking. They're not just narrow, narrowing down their thinking. So having those perspectives is the key for action taking because when your action taking is you're making difference in someone's lives and having to understand perspectives is, takes a lot of compassion. And compassion is important to really understand it because you have to understand all of the views that's coming to it. And having to build that empathy, it's even harder when we're designing because empathy really, not only just framing the problem, but also observing, collecting data, analyzing all that information and interpreting that information in order to really uh, make a difference and, and, and be able to solve the problem. So let's get very practical then. So give, give us an example of what, yeah. what that looks like in your classroom. So we look at like the design thinking process. So I, know, I don't know if you remember all that stuff we've done like every every class is different and every year is different, right? Because you're going with what the students' interest is, right? And you like for me, I, I provoke their thinking, I facilitate their learning, but they are actually leading their thinking. And that's why this kind of teaching is really hard. Because you have to constantly be documenting and they are documenting at the same time. And you're constantly having to consolidate and constantly having to have the focusated criteria where the students are clear as well of the expectation of those expectations slides in, right? So a lot goes on. So I can give previous example. I can talk about the examples we're doing right now. There are lots of things that are happening. So my two classes, uh, we started with doing grade eight human geography and I'm new to teaching grade eight. So I started right away with how do we impact, what is our impact for uh, on the physical geography? And it's funny when we did at the beginning of the year, what it really draws, what concerns do you have for your heart? And it's funny, it's interesting that all of the kids said climate change. I said, okay, so what does that look like? How does that fit into geography climate change? So we started building those perspectives and looking at so many podcasts and reports and so on. So for example, right now, we talk about the design thinking process. And so we started first by, you, you, things don't just happen. You have to be observant. You have to collect data. So we started by looking at the beginning of the year, both classes. What is it that we need to make our environment safe? Right with all COVID and the masks and that and just cleansing and sanitizing and all that stuff. How do we make our classroom safe and how do we work together collaboratively, being safe as well, having a huge number of students per class as well. So they started taking action. They started documenting data around the school. What do we have around the school? They had. So I always look at an expert as well. So Mr. Kelly was an expert to one class and Mrs. Baird was an expert for that class. So they got feedback along the way. They followed up with Mr. Kelly. They implemented their idea. So they see value in being a community member because then they have 
they have contributed to the community. So it's based on the design thinking process and integrative thinking process. So another example right now, we're doing climate change. So I have two different classes. One, one class is doing climate change concerns about the school, like even like digital clocks. We had today the uh, head custodian come and talk. We've been documenting CO2. We, one class has a high CO2 because the temperatures are really hot and the other class is cooler. And so the other class got an interest into the podcast that I shared with them about the city of Ottawa, zero emission, green city, greenest city in the world by 2050. What would that look like? So now they're going to start, they're designing, they're starting just to frame the problem. And we're looking at what expert we need to connect, what do we need to learn, what would that look like? So these are the kind of just now immediate example. In the past, we've looked at examples we've designed for vets, we've designed for autistic students, we've designed for birth century. We, we've done a lot um, regarding even like um, sensors for recycling in the cafeteria. The kids have helped in the cafeteria. Like, so embracing them, having them to live the process is the key to success, no matter what they're designing for, having them to collect data and having them to really meet with the ones they're designing for and get feedback along the way or reach to experts as well. So there's there's two things that I'm I'm really uh, really connecting with here. And the first thing is that you're talking about, you know, you're saying, yes, yeah, sure, I might be the, the teacher of the classroom and the facilitator of the learning, but for this content, I might not necessarily be the expert. So let's let's talk to someone who actually is. Um, and, and walking on that that learning journey with students, and and number two, um, you know, uh, I'm just blown away because I, you know I can go on the internet, I can look in a textbook, and I can find out what climate change is. You know, I can I can I can get a definition from the dictionary about what climate change is. I can watch all the news in the world, but you're having them actually do something about it in their immediate environment. That's next level stuff right there. And I love that. I love that because, you know, how, how often is, uh, you know, we read the book, we read the paragraph, we answer the questions and then it's done and over. Um, but, but then that's, that's not something that sticks with us. It's experiences that stick with us. And so their learning is, 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 is tied to their physicality because they're doing it. And I love that. Um, so I guess what I'm thinking of too now is, um, so how do you uh, go about when you have like an idea, I guess, um, what's your process in finding out like, okay, where do I find the expert for this? Where do I, what's the proper forum for us to make this something uh, real? Um, you know, uh, and I'm thinking as, as someone who lives in, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in Fort McMurray right now. Um, and one of the things about that too, is that, you know, we live in a digital age, so it doesn't necessarily mean you have to bring a guest speaker in to the classroom with, with our, our technology we have, but what's your process in almost like, uh, you know, designing that lesson that's going to, you know, incorporate experts, that's going to incorporate something that is, is, is in the immediate vicinity of, of the students' lives, because I'm just really loving what, what I'm hearing about that. Yeah, so one thing we have said, knowledge for free, right? Anybody can find anything out. So knowledge doesn't equal understanding unless you take action. And if you don't take action, there's no understanding, right? And in order for you to understand and take those actions, you have to connect to people who know a lot about that subject because I'm not the knowledge keep keeper, the students are, right? So it's a huge process. Um, it's amazing. Like I've been doing this, 
And when you, you know, when you listen to TED Talks or you hear, you read books and stuff, I've been doing this for years now. And I've never had trouble connecting with, a, with an expert. The community members are unbelievably generous. It could be in grade six. If I remember that was maybe seven, six years ago or when Minecraft EDU just started, maybe five years ago, we connected just online. We figured out, um, you look, you can search anything, right? You can search anybody. A lady, we, we did zero emission cities then, and then the SDGs were just starting. Like it hasn't yet a stable development, it's just starting. They met with this lady who has two PhDs from McGill University, who was designing Montreal and Toronto streets and so on about the cities. And she does environmental, she has architecture, like a whole bunch of environmental you know, knowledge and experiences. She would meet with my students online, and not only she, she met, she knew Minecraft too. So she actually took time to give them feedback along the way about the process. That's amazing. I think that's wow. huge. I think I think that's massive advice for for our listeners. Like these you, expert, experts are generous with their time. Seek them out. We had an astronaut. So the kids one year, I think now most of those kids are either grade ten because they were grade nine last year, and I followed with them veto notes that. So I was down the elementary school. That's a school feeder to our high school. And these kids, they never forget that. We met an astronaut. We were doing a model. Should should they colonize Venus or Mars? And that's, you know, that's back. <laughs> I can't remember when it was that. An astronaut. We met with an astronaut online from Quebec, um, from the Astronomy of Canada. I mean, I just find them. You just find them. You just look up, you email them, and it's incredible. And it's so exciting for the students to connect with them. Like, she was telling them, so they had all these ideas. She said a loaf of bread to take into space will cost $10,000. Like, there's so much learning that these kids never forget. The kids never went out for recess. They would set up these, I used to have those red folding tables. So they would open up these red folding tables and they each made their little offices. And they just had everything, you know, from, from chart papers to whiteboards and trying to analyze everything and work through the whole, you know, the opposing models and the perspectives and all kinds of things. Like crazy stuff. I uh, crazy is my favorite. I love it. Now, this brings us kind of bridges to, to something else. So you mentioned you, they they take out folding tables and they get their chart paper and they go to work. And the, the the tools that they have available that you bring in the classroom are like so. Just to give you an example, you know, you had two three D printers in your classroom and they were using that to build, I think, bird sanctuaries one year or, or to, to part of that. Right, that was their problem. So they identified that year, but. Uh, you know, when we talk about leveraging digital in the classroom, what a lot of people assume is that, oh, you know, learn how to do something with, you know, a Google app and, and translate the boring stuff you do in the classroom to a digital thing. Whereas you actually kind of say, no, 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 no. So Vito, you <laughs> actually use the boring tool. stuff and make it digital boring stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Take a worksheet, make it a boring digital worksheet, right? <laughs> So, so what what like uh, take us through your technology in, in your room and how that's used and how you bring that in and how you get the kids to work with it because they're they're working with stuff that like I, most people would just die to have their hands on yeah so i mean technology is it's not just like as technology tools like chart paper are technology you know they're tools and everything is a technology tool 
technology, the way it works in my classroom is that the kids are not really consuming it only, but they're also creating with it. And that's the key to the success. So we learn tools together along the way. Uh, so I've been lucky that I have worked with many organizations, like you have said, presenting and just blogging about things and, and other organization with technology seeing my work that they have offered me technologies to work with in class and so and I and and you so we weren't just 3d printing for the sake of 3d printing we we're 3d printing to problem solve and so why would you want to make something that already exists you buy rather than innovating so technology really for me is is for creativity and innovation. It's for students to design and problem solve. Like we've designed stuff for um, you know um, retirement home for elderly who cannot hold properly their utensils. We've designed Scrabble, big Scrabbles because uh, the students learned when we used to go to the retirement home to talk about history with them they noticed that uh, they couldn't read. So we'd ask them what kind of problems they would have on a daily basis. They'd use sensors for slippers to light up at night. So technology is, again, <laughs> we go back to the same, is the problem solving. And there's no limit to technologies. Again, like you can connect with experts. You can also connect with the, the use of uh, the purpose of the technology piece. So I was lucky that I built a good relationship with the University of Ottawa. And I was able to ask any of their engineers, we've done hydroponics, we've learned uh, how to really time them using, we um, uh, use microbit, but also Arduino. So it had a purpose and the kids get excited with that purpose because they know that they are designers and engineers. And so they have those tools that is gonna answer, you know, the purpose of their learning. And, and, you know, the, the whole overarching theme of this conversation has been like real world connections. And I, I'm really gravitating to what you're saying about, so you're not using the technology for the sake of learning to use the technology. The technology is the tool for solving the problem. And I think, I know, I, I think about my own practice, you know, sometimes when I think about the technology I use, you know, that's not actually the outcome. It's the, oh, here's how we use the technology so we can use the technology, but that's not the end goal and it shouldn't be. Wow. It's a conduit for, it's a conduit for problem solving. It's the, it's, it's the essence for making that prototype real. Absolutely. Cause I, I think about like, uh, you know, just talking about the 3d printers, um, you know, are, are we using the 3d printer to make something that solves a problem or are we learning how to make something on a 3d printer to very different questions and very different inquiries. Yeah. And lots to explore with coding because coding is a new language for them and the kids must know how to code. They must know that language of coding because we talk about their future, you know, and they see how advanced around the world people are. And we look at those examples. So we really explore the world with me. And then I think that's what opens up to them is we look at different innovations that are going around the world. And so they see that there is a purpose and they their, their future is different from ours. Like they may not have hardware store, they might have to print something that they're missing in their home in the future or, uh, you know, pieces and parts. So, yeah, we don't have printing all the time going 24 seven. We only have like printing or coding that we're doing is for a purpose, it's to problem solve. Love it. And then this this all 
comes together at the, at the end when they, so it's not so much of a production, but it's a process. So I, 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 with that, and this is just me kind of leading it, then you've kind of thrown out the whole grading system. <laughs> so uh, human learning, we're humans, we're not objects. You grade meat and shoes, and I don't know. You grade, <laughs> you grade thinking. So, so, in other words, you you've you've already led the charge on that. So, you, you actually, there's no grades in your classroom, and, and how you know students are okay with that? They're like, oh, okay, that's good. I'm I'm part of the process. Or do they do you still have your keeners be like, no, Mister Tipsharani, I need to know is this a four plus? Is this like I I need that hundred percent? Do you still like I, what what kind of obstacles do you run into? Interesting. Um, you know. I just had a, well, at the end of the last year, I had amazing reflections from parents. So parents are part of the process, right? And I remember in September, I usually have them in the classroom and they're like listening to this crazy woman talking about a process, designing, no grading, no homework, the kids create everything. And so one of my best reflections I've had in a long time, a parent wrote and she said, I was questioning a lot at the beginning of the year. And now I understand what it is all about. And thank you so much. And she goes on describing in details everything, including the grading. Yeah, so the students come to us because they've always been labeled and graded. And so, you know, and they're always like keen. So what does that mean? But it's interesting. It doesn't take too long for them to really withdraw themselves from that grading. And they just kind of embrace the progressions. Because if I'm co-constructing criteria with them and they already know the expectations, right? They all meet their success at their different ability levels. So why would the grade have to interfere with this? So obviously some of them are exceeding in the learning together and majority are meeting expectations, but they can exceed expectations if we give them ways to exceed expectations. So if you if you can't try it, you can... So I give them ways to express their thinking. Uh, it doesn't always have to be written. It could be oral. It could be a doodling. It could be anything. So I give them many opportunities to do the application. And so if I'm giving them opportunities to apply, then these kids are already aware where they are at. So they stop asking for grades. So, for example, this year, that's an, you know I'm in a new school community, totally. And it was driving them insane. What is this grade? You know, what are we doing? I said, well, what would you need a grade? What would you grade it yourself? Tell me, what would you give yourself? And so then right now, they don't even look at grades anymore. So they see that as a process. So if we have that criteria and you know what the details look like of that criteria, you know, you already know where you are part of the process. So the grading kind of vanishes a little bit as we go along with it and they like so now we're november so they don't ask about a grade anymore because it's a process they see it as a process not the one-time moment i like that's on a process right and so then they uh they accept that and you know as you know for report card we still have to give grades so i negotiate the grade with them because you know we bring biases to to students we bring biases to everything like as teachers we are you know we we carry a lot of those biases unconscious biases and so i'm not going to make that judgment if i'm not negotiating and if the kids are not self-aware of where they are what's the point of it right like i just don't i don't know i don't get it but anyway (laughs) so for me it, it is a process and if it's a process i'm giving lots of application and feedback along the way and there's improvement 
then that grade has to be con considered together and they, they know when they're meeting expectations. It's very evident. And I really like the fact that you say this is a process, not a not a product at the end. And as someone who you know who teaches the writing process, you know one thing I have to instill into students is that most famous authors lie about their writing process. You can't deconstruct it because everyone is so different. You got to find your own. And, and you know I use the example of Hemingway. He got so sick of writers asking him, "How did you write this?" He would start to just make stuff up to see how far he can take it. To the point he said, "Yeah, I wrote the ending to that thirty six times, and I did it while standing up on the beach." And, and people said, "Oh my goodness, Hemingway wrote the ending this thirty six times." And it's like, no, he didn't. He wrote it in one draft, sitting down at his typewriter, like every other writer at his time. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I really like the fact that you mentioned that it's a process. But one of the difficulties I'm, I'm sure you, you encounter is that the students leave your classroom and they then have to go into another classroom. That's and exactly so, what I was thinking, Vito. That's so, exactly what I was thinking. And so what happens there? How, how do they deal with that? How, how, do, how do you deal with that? Yeah, so it's quite frustrating because... But you know what I gave them? They leave with a lot of thinking tools. They leave it with a lot of confidence. And so that is a tricky part, is um, how do you continue with it? They, they know that they have to adapt, and we talk about that. Not every teacher is the same way. And you can challenge, why did I get that? Make sure you're clear about it, if that's the case for grading. And what can you do? Make sure you're clear on what can you do next. If you don't know what you're doing next and the person's judging, maybe you can challenge that. Okay. That, <laughs> you're making rebels out of all of them. Beautiful. Yeah, they become leaders. They have to be leaders. They have to question well, you. That's the thing, too. I don't even know if it's rebels. It's it's taking ownership for one's own learning, right? Um, yeah. You know, if, if, why why am I this? I want to be this. How do I get there? What do I yeah. do? Um, I like that a lot. I like that. Um, I think I've liked a lot of things this evening. <laughs> now, now, uh, so let's 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 come to this like from the very beginning. You you you're looking at this from someone who's been self reflecting on it for many years now. But I I walk into your classroom, I see this. Okay, I, just watching you is exhausting. Just <laughs> I walk in and I, I just I get tired, and I'm like, oh, I need a nap. Just just watching you for five seconds. So, what what advice would you rec recommend to somebody? saying, oh, okay, I need to unlearn my own teaching practice and move along something that is more student-focused, more problem-solving, more real-world connections, everything you've been talking about. Wh where do I start? Where do I even start on that journey? Start with the journey by building trust in the classroom and building relationship. That's the key to success, first of all, and having student voices. So co-constructing things, co-constructing, co-constructing, and having to really learn the process alongside the students, not to delivering the content. And it is tiring. It is exhausting. You're right. And I am exhausted this year teaching to a new grade and taking a course and everything. Because you have to reflect at, you know, when you do a process, it's not the delivering content. So you have to reflect where we ended up and what are the next steps. But you have to have that assumptions or those envisioned prior to the start of it. And along the way, many things develop that you, you, you find that the kids need. So start with the students' needs and see exactly, talk to the students and open up to the students and really say learning is never perfect and if you're not in discomfort there's no learning and when you bring that language to the classroom the students embrace it well so when they see you as you are building that relationship and building that knowledge together 
that's where you start is building that trust and being open with the students and that respect is a key. So when you build that community, then you have the whole year to yourself and you can slowly start taking, making differences. Look at yourselves in the classroom. What can we do to improve things? Why are we, even you have to put aside the curriculum because sometimes day-to-day -day things matter. And those, when the kids let go of that tension around them, then learning is simple and it just flows well. So starting by building trust and building that relationship and really having students' voices count and, and their thinking count and, and they cook, they create everything rather than giving them things and have them ask the questions, then you questioning all the time, right? I like that. So it starts with trust, right? Trust. With, build relationships, build trust. And, and be willing to let go. I think I'm getting that to you. <laughs> I mean, as a teacher, you have to let go and, and trust yeah. the students. And it's, it's hard it's, to let go. It's hard. You have to be prepared. It's not easy. People think it's easy. It's not just like wishy-washy. You know, it's not. You have to plan it. You can't just let go like that. So what are you letting go? How are you provoking students thinking? What are you putting in front to make that conversation go? And it, it seems... Sure they're adding their thinking to it. What are you doing? It, it seems as though you have to be like meticulously planned so that you can relinquish control. <laughs> yes, I know, but it, it's like, if you haven't, like, it's like design thinking. It's the idea that learning is discomfort and learning is you, you change your ideas many times and you iterate your process, you, you keep getting better. And so if things are not working in class, you just stop and they're not working. And if you're not consolidating on a daily basis, there's no learning. And if the students are not reflecting and you're looking at your evidence in front of you and, you know, and analyzing this, there's no learning. Like you're just going, the train is just moving and you're just moving along and spinning with it. Which is what my classroom was like for many years. Hey, hey, Vito. Yes, Chris. You know what time it is? You know what? I th I have a feeling I know what time it is right now. It is it is everyone's favorite time. Uh, roll. This is everyone's favorite time. Of the show. It's the it is the Pulsing Points. Pulsing Points. The points. Uh, the points. So uh, tonight we have been uh, we've been so lucky to talk with uh, Rola Tipsharani tonight. Um, I don't know about you, uh, Vito. You got to work with her. I'm sitting here an hour in this conversation and I'm like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just blown away. And so, you know what, here's the things we want to remember from speaking with Rola tonight. You know what? Hey, don't be afraid to be a rebel because it might lead you somewhere. Um, take the time to build community first because it's going to pay off. Hey, everyone out there, students, teachers, parents, everybody. Sometimes before we learn, we have to unlearn. Uh, feedback and self-reflection is essential. Um, and, and one thing I really loved is learning is action taking action taking. I love that because perspective leads to understanding, leads to compassion, which leads to empathy so that we can take action, um, and be informed in our actions. Um, Hey, guess what folks walk with students on the journey, but find them the experts because they're pretty generous with their time and their knowledge. Um, build relationships, build trust, you know, start your, start your year building relationships and build trust. Because I think what I wanted to take from this evening, my biggest point, uh, is that learning is a process. It's not one moment in time. 
that and listen to this podcast a few times because uh, there was a lot said in there and you, you'll need to go through this at least six times to get everything. Rola, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It is just a pleasure to talk to you. It's an honor to hear from you. Uh, you know, I uh, I listened to your podcast with Vito on it and I was like, wow. Um, and uh, and from what Vito's told me, I, uh, I was very, uh, I feel very blessed to be able to have this conversation tonight. Thank you. It's an honor for me to talk to both of you. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Vito. Thank you, Rola. Uh, next week, uh, Chris, we have Dr. Natalie Miller-Reed, who's going to be talking to us about teachers' experience with and of uh, trauma and trauma sensitivity, so teaching with trauma. Uh, and so she's one of the Canadian experts on that. Uh, that that'll, be a, that'll be a very interesting to, to speak with her. And thank you for joining us this week on the Unapologist podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. Podcast.